Today, we're talking about mental health, specifically anxiety. If you need a little reminder about the importance of self-care and some tips on how to find the time and make it happen in your busy life, then jump onto our website and download our free self-care guide. Go to www.thejuggle.com.au forward slash self-care and download it now. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich. And me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Joel Lulovich here. And Lucy Dickens, welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. So self-care, Lucy, something that I'm definitely not very good at. I think maybe you're a little bit better than I am. I think I might be a little bit better, but maybe not good enough because I'm sick right now with a cold, so... Clearly, I need a bit more rest. So I'm sorry, everyone, about the sound of my voice. We try, though. We try. We try. And I think like a lot of people, you know that it's important. It's just not something that you often make the time for. And unfortunately, then we get sick or we get tired and cranky or it can lead to things that are a lot worse, like it can lead to anxiety problems and all the way down to, you know, getting to the point where you've got some kind of mental illness. So We were fortunate enough today to get the opportunity to interview some people about anxiety. And I was really surprised when I read the statistics that say that one in four adults experience anxiety. And they mean not just the, you know, the usual normal kind of anxiety that you get about a a little thing, but real anxiety during the course of their lifetime. And stats for kids, one in seven aged between four and 17 will be diagnosed with a mental health illness. And half of those have anxiety disorders. So it's huge. Those numbers are huge, aren't they? And you just, I don't know, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit to think those poor little children having to cope with mental health illnesses. It's hard. Absolutely. And it's going up, you know, that's the really scary thing that it's just going up. And I sometimes wonder how much of that is just because, you know, we're better at diagnosing things and putting labels on things. But, you know, I think in, in general, our society is changing and, and it's, perhaps causing some of this anxiety. Yeah. So, you know, the main aim of our show is, is talking about women managing the juggle of successful career, fulfilling family life. And we treat, try to steer clear of parenting advice because there's lots of great um, resources and podcasts and other things out there doing that. But, uh, you know, when we discussed it, this was one thing that we thought we could tackle. I think so, definitely. So today we are joined by Michael Gross and Dr. Jodie Richardson, who have co-authored the brand new book, Anxious Kids, How Children Can Turn Their Anxiety into Resilience. If the name Michael Gross is familiar, it's because he is one of Australia's leading parenting and educational writers. He's authored 10 books and he's most well known for the book, Why Firstborns Rule the World. Shame I'm not a firstborn. I was thinking about this when I was preparing for the interview. I was like, yep, you know, I'm the last born. Yeah. (laughs) And and you're somewhere there in the middle. Oh, well, you know, it's how it is. Dr. Jodie Richardson is a wellbeing expert speaker and educator who specializes in helping parents and teachers raise happier, more relaxed and resilient kids. With over nine years of uni study and over 20 years of professional work in wellbeing, clinical practice and education, and being a mum of two, she is a great source of advice. So please enjoy this interview with Michael and Jody. Welcome, Michael and Dr. Jody. Thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having us today. 
So in our introduction, we gave some statistics about the increase of anxiety-related disorders, and they're really quite confronting. I think for me, in reading through your book and talking to some of the people in our community, one of the greatest concerns that parents seem to have is whether our anxiety is contagious. And reading your book, you say that it's true, that kids can pick it up from us. So what we'd like to know as working parents with so much going on in our lives, which obviously leads to quite a lot of anxiety and trying to manage this juggle. What can we do to stop our kids from picking this anxiety up from us? Yeah, it's a difficult one because kids by its very nature are, are trained to pick up our moods. That's what, you know, babies, we know that babies, when they're held by a mother, first thing they pick up is, uh, you know, a mother's mood, so to speak. So very much a very intuitive kids in that way. We often become very verbal with kids, but we forget that they pick up our emotions. And it's interesting, some of the research shows that it's often it's mothers who are better at compartmentalising their emotional lives than men. So when men have a bad day at work, sometimes they come home and kick the cat. Everyone knows about it. And often women are better at being able to compartmentalise. But obviously when you're stressed and when you're anxious, it also shows that the kids will often pick it up as well. And so I guess that part of our message, our very strong message, is the fact that we need to, and I know it becomes very much cliche to say you need to look after yourself. Mm. We all know that. I don't want to actually say that you've got to look after yourself because intuitively we know that, but we are quite busy ourselves. But you do need to create some sort of time for yourself. You do need to really put some of the tools that we have in place. So interestingly, Jodie and I both understand anxiety because we are that way ourselves mm. so since I've sort of been more aware of that I've very been very conscious of what I model for those around and also my own impact on others so I might fall apart a little bit but I won't actually do it around others or around, yeah. around kids but also to very much that notion of taking a bit of a, a few deep breaths and going right I'm with you guys now and here's how we're going to sort of operate and so when I'm with you I'm going to be sort of very present but when we freak out and one of the things we talk about is that you don't respond you don't react we tend to react to particularly when our kids are anxious and when they're worried we tend to react and one of our key messages is don't react on an emotional level sort of step back a little bit and learn how to respond which is quite different so maybe Jodie might have something to say about that. Yeah, when it comes to the contagious nature of anxiety, it goes in both directions. And so as parents, if we have sort of a limited bandwidth because we're stressed because of work, juggling all of our competing responsibilities, and our children are experiencing some discomfort or stress or anxiety, when they come to us and they're feeling anxious, it's very easy for us to start to feel really anxious too because it's really painful when we know our kids are suffering. Yes. It's really hard. It's one of the hardest things that we deal with as parents is learning to respond appropriately when our children are having a really difficult time. And uh, when it comes to anxious kids, what they really need from their parents are parents who can take a deep breath and be able to listen and really hear what is being said to really recognise what's happening in the moment. So for parents to be able to recognise that perhaps what's presenting to them is anxiety is a huge step forward for the whole family. And then to be able to empathise, because it's hard, especially when we're really short of time as parents and our children have issues that require us to be patient and present. 
this is why that notion of taking care of ourselves is really important so that when we're really needed, we can actually be there for our kids and validate, yes, I can see that you're having a really difficult time. I know what that feels like. I've felt like that too. Come and let's sit down. You know, easier said than done sometimes and that contagious nature anxiety could go from sort of parents causing kids to feel anxious and when we're stressed and anxious, it can sort of rub off on the kids so it sort of goes both ways. So speaking of difficult days, how do we identify what's normal anxiety, so to speak, in the sense that something that everybody might experience now and then as opposed to when it becomes a problem? Well, yeah, it's another excellent question because we do hear, uh, I mean, gosh, I heard something about um, bank anxiety the other day on the radio. (laughs) You know, it's a really, it's a term that's thrown around quite easily. And, you know, anxiety is something that we all do experience very naturally and normally. It's an emotion and it's there to protect us. It's a protective emotion that helps us to steer away from anything that might be a threat or a danger to us, or it might also be an emotion that motivates us. So we might feel anxious about not being quite prepared for a presentation, for example, and that will motivate you to get your button to gear and to get all your ducks in a row. So that's sort of normal anxiety that will pass when the stressful circumstances have passed. And and yeah, the, the difference with anxiety that could progress to become a disorder is when it's really extreme, it's starting to impede daily functioning, it's starting to really get in the way of kids' happiness and, you know, get in the way of doing all the things that they really love to do. Mm. One of the things that often comes up with anxiety and parenting of kids is this separation anxiety, that we have concerns, particularly around school drop-offs and daycare and those kinds of things. And one thing that I learned from reading your book is this idea that it's not going to really work if you try to reason with your kids when they're having an anxious moment. And you talk about a, a sober technique, which I found quite interesting. And one of the things that I've noticed with parents is the temptation to just remove the kids from the situation. In my own personal experience, I've had a daughter that's had many anxious moments and they seem to be more than what I've noticed in children of of friends and family with things like dance classes, you know, not being able to get over the anxiety to go out on the stage and perform, even though that they've been practicing for months and months and months to do the routine or not wanting to get into the swimming pool, even though two months ago they did swimming lessons and they were just fine. What do we do in those sorts of situations where we just want to protect that kid? As, as you said, Jody, we just want to make them feel safe. And there's a real strong temptation just to say, well, they hate going to daycare, so I'm just not going to do it. Yes, it is because we want to end their distress. And and unfortunately, what what happens is in our attempts to help them to feel better in the short term, we can really impede their, their management of their anxiety over the long term because ultimately avoidance isn't the answer. And so one of the things that we talk about is being able to recognize that anxiety is present in that moment and really empathize with the child just to go, you know, we know what it feels like as adults when we're extremely anxious, when we're very worried. And the children that are before us with their anxiety are feeling those feelings and they're struggling to understand necessarily what's going on. So if they can understand what's happening with their anxiety and know that, okay, this is an anxious moment and that it's important to keep moving forward and do what matters. And Particularly in the book, we talk about the anxiety dance. Mm. You know, the anxiety dance highlights it beautifully. So the activator is going to school. That's the trigger. That's what causes the anxiety. The behavior are the tears, the unwillingness to keep moving forward. I don't want to go. It's too hard. I just want to stay home because home feels safe. 
Yes. And the consequences are everything as parents that we think and feel, and there are many of those, it's extremely difficult, it's painful, it's frustrating too sometimes because we might have a child that we need to get out of the car to go to school because we have a meeting or we have a plane to catch. So we have all of our own thoughts and feelings and and then the D is the dance. What happens next? What's the action that's taken? And for children that triggered and avoidant and if, if the dance becomes, okay, then we just pull the child out of the situation, that they're just dance steps that keep getting played out over and over again. What we need to do is we need to teach our children to recognise and manage their anxiety. We, we have tools that we write about to help parents help their children manage it. But then also, really importantly, for children to be able to move in the direction of what matters, of what's important. Mm. And this takes persistence and it also takes a willingness to accept that discomfort and not to have to wait till they don't feel anxious to do these important tasks or to participate in these events to go on stage or just to go to school. Can you give us a practical example if we're dropping a kid off at daycare say and they're crying and they've got all the tears because they don't want to go what is it that we do with them in that moment and then what is it that we do with them after that moment, perhaps when they get home or the next day or sometime that's not around the trigger point to help them work through it? Some of the work's done beforehand. So a lot of children, so one of the things we need to be established around separation anxiety is developmental. In fact, it's quite a good sign that your child is bonding with you, the fact that they don't want to be apart from you. So (laughs) take it from that point of view. It's developmental. But around about the age of three and four, they should be able to move away. So if you're looking at a, at a sort of a benchmark, I think that's a useful benchmark. There's about one in three children love to feel like they're in control of a situation. So you've got to give them lots of information. So maybe... I have that, one of those. Yeah. yeah <laughs> they're the ones who wake up in the morning and they say, when they're a little bit older, you even wake them up. I have one. And we used to get up in the morning, even when she went to primary school, and she'd say, who's picking me up at the end of the day? Mm. So she, she's like thinking six hours ahead. So we actually have to give her lots, lots of information, and then she feels like she's, she's okay. So there's a technique which we write about in the book, which a colleague of ours who works in the autism field, she talks about social storytelling. And social storytelling is, is basically telling the story of what's going to happen as much as you possibly can. It's okay, sweetheart, we're going to the party now. Now, when you go to the party, I'm going to go in with you for five minutes. And you know that, you know, so you almost paint that visual picture for kids to see. So if you can do that with the, in those situations, you know that there might be some anxiousness. If you can do that, that's a great way of preparing. And in some ways, when it's, is it the, the drop-off, you've got to turn around and go. You've got to leave. You've also, it's really important that you involve the other person, which is as a carer or if it's a parent or whatever, in the whole story, so to speak. And then it is important that you reassure them that you'll be back at a certain time and and make sure that you are back at a certain time. But somewhere along the line, you've got to turn away and leave and cut that cord, knowing that your child will be safe. And if you've done those sorts of situations, then then it will make a difference. Sometimes I would even be wondering if if it's at the swimming where if your child's in with the teacher and they're not really happy about it, but it might, might be a good idea to go and have a coffee and just move away and let, let the swimming teacher deal with your child if you think that they're safe. I've also heard it said, and please correct me if this is not right, that sometimes giving kids is too much information is not a good idea. 
Look, sometimes we over-explain, and I think there's a difference between the two. And I'm, one of the things I'm sort of picking up with that is that some kids like to have lots of information. Sometimes yes. they like to be reassured. Yes. Yeah. They're always coming for reassurance. Yeah. That's an issue. An exo- and, and you know that, that they know. So, that you don't, you know, sweetheart, you don't have to come and tell me. You know what's going to happen. Yes. If you're coming for reassurance all the time, which is a sign of anxiety, then don't keep reassuring because one of the things you want you don't want to become dependent on you. Yes. That's a really good point. Yes. There's also another interesting one, again, which we we talk about where kids need to learn to be flexible. And this is an age-related thing. So flexibility is really important. And one of the things about anxious kids is they're not all that flexible. The same with anxious adults. Yeah. Like we need to become more flexible and, and we need to become a little bit more spontaneous. So there comes a time, and I had that with why. One of my children who is high-functioning but also pretty anxious that, that sometimes we would just surprise her. We would say, we, we're not going here now, we're going to the flicks instead of going to the beach. Yes. Or you need to be ready in 20 minutes because we're... And then she'd have, have all the ducks in a row ready to do something and we'd shift it on her. And one of the reasons is that there comes a stage where you need to learn to be a little bit more adaptable. Now, I wouldn't have done that with her when she was four or five or when there was some really significantly anxious moments. But when there's sort of, you know, this is, a, this is the thing we talk about where strike where the iron's cold. So a lot of the tools if we talk about, about mindfulness, getting kids to take deep breaths, etc., incorporate those into your everyday life. Um, that's when the iron's cold. So in a less stressful situation for my daughter, we would become a little bit more flexible. We wouldn't do it when she was going to used to sing and you know she used to work herself up into a knot. We'd never do that before the school concert, if you know what I mean. So. Mm. That's a great example of and some you do have some really good tools in the book that you talk through as well. How can we teach our children about life in general without making them anxious? I'm talking about the big conversations I had to try to explain to my three-year-old what it means for something to die. And that was really hard to explain. And we were talking in the context of flowers. But how do we teach them about these things, you know, stranger danger, life and death? How do we teach them about these things without causing too much anxiety? Yeah, look, as a general rule, as much as possible, be led by kids and give them as, as not, uh, enough information that they need at that age and stage of development. So, you know, if it's three or four-year-old and it's flowers die, um, they're not no longer anymore and often kids will go, well, that's okay, cool. Then they'll come back at three and a half or four and they'll ask another question and you explain that. So you're making a big leap down to stranger danger. So let's just deal with it step by step by step by step. And I think one of the issues you want to get across with kids is that life's pretty good, most people are trustworthy, people are friendly and then occasionally they'll find that some people aren't friendly and I think then you start to deal with that you see those as educative moments and you deal with it as, it as it crops up. I always go back to imagining if you had a big family of kids and you're just getting through the day. When you would parent back in those days, you weren't looking too far ahead. You were looking at just let's survive, let's get through the day. And sometimes the, having too much information is a little bit of a concern. We, we see the world quite differently now because we have so much information and just that example of there's stranger danger. We have to worry about it when they become old enough, when the, when the situation arises, rather than teaching it when for it's warning. not there mm. for warning because kids aren't ready for that. They're concrete thinkers. Their world revolves around them. And as they get older, and I always just think of it as a, as a circle, a 
around the body. And then independence building as always works from your body. So I can look after myself and then I can look after my environment around me and broadening out. Mm. The same with the information you give with kids. You've got to give kids information to make them safe in their cot, safe in their room, handle their kitchen, handle their house and broaden out that way. So when a situation arises there, they yeah, you've got to go to the shop got to buy something for me as a seven-year-old and it's you've got to go a kilometre away. That's when you start doing the, the teaching work. Mm. I'll just add there too, Lucy, in terms of death, I think as, as parents and as adults in general, we have our own fears and anxieties around death because we understand it at a much deeper level than our younger children and we can sometimes let that stand in the way of, of the lessons that are sort of waiting for our children to learn. And death is a part of life and it is for many people a very anxiety-provoking part of life to think about. But for our children, you know, it's an inevitability that if they've got pets, they might lose a pet, they might lose a grandparent and we hope that these things are way in the future. But, you know, in our house, for example, we have five chickens and two dogs and Mm. we once had seven chickens. One was very sick and I tried desperately to prop this bird up because I was so, <laughs> so I had antibiotics for this bird. I'd had this chicken two days and it was blowing snot bubbles is what my kid said. And I was so worried about, oh my gosh, don't let this chicken die. We've never really had a death to deal with in our family. And I was so afraid. And then I realized, you know what, this chicken, three weeks of antibiotics for this bird. I really did work. <laughs> we just had to let Blackie go. And we went out one morning and counted the six chickens came downstairs and and Blackie didn't come downstairs. And you know what? That was really difficult. That was very sad. But do you know what? We had a little memorial, buried a few feathers and we said a few words. And honestly, the next day, the kids were fine. I was able to sort of say to them a couple of weeks later, you know what? That was really difficult. But look what's happened. We were really sad. And look, we've managed to get through that. And then when our accidental rooster was taken by a fox, we were able to say the same thing. (laughs) Rather convenient, really. (laughs) (laughs) well you don't want to be um with upset neighbors you know what I mean Uh, yeah yeah you know we're able to you're they're able to learn from that experience that death is a part of life and for animals like chickens look the, the stakes aren't too high it'll be harder with the dogs obviously exponentially harder when it's a person we've I've lost a couple of grandparents in the last sort of five years and they've seen me grieve and they've seen me suffer. And a really key learning for our children is nobody's happy all the time. The things that bring us great meaning in our life can also bring us great despair and distress. But, you know, we talk about our animals and we talk about it was so much better to have those awesome chickens Mm -hmm. and lose them. And we did grieve, but we also have moved on. So that's history for them. They now know, okay, we've gotten through that. The next death that happens, we have a very old dog. They'll know from experience that they can get through it. One of the things I really like about what you've said through the book and what you've said in this interview is the importance of sharing with your children your own dealings, your own grief, your own anxiety, and talking through what you're experiencing and getting kids to you know, learn by example and hear the language that you're using and see the techniques that you're going through. I've loved reading the section of the book about modelling behaviour. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah, it's, you know, something I do a lot. I I have young children who are at the moment nine and 10 and they know I have anxiety and it's extremely well managed most of the time. Mm. There are times in my life when it can go off the radar a little more than, you know, I would like it to. And I will say to them, I'm feeling anxious at the moment. 
I'm going to take some big deep breaths. Mm. Okay, I'm going to ask you to give me a bit more help with A, B and C and they'll watch me and they're learning from me that anxiety is something that is manageable and if I don't feel great, I don't pretend to be great and I'll say, you know, I'm not feeling great but I know that this will pass and it's an open conversation and then kids, they're not so scared of it. It's, it's not so unknown and that's, that really makes a huge difference for kids because it's the unknown that often frightens them more than, than what's being shared with them. Mm. One of the questions that we like to ask of all of our guests at the end of the interview is whether they have a mantra. We think that it can be helpful to get through the days if there are certain words that you can tell yourself that make it a little bit easier. So do either of you or both of you have a mantra that you use? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, when it comes to anxiety, I say to myself, it's only anxiety. It can't hurt me. I can manage it. This is one of the things that I say to myself and it's just a reminder for me that when you feel anxious, it's a feeling of dread and it can feel quite threatening and frightening at times. But when you remind yourself, recognise what it is and say, look, I know what this is. I've managed it before. It's only anxiety. I know what to do. That's something that helps me personally. When it comes to the kids, one of the mantras we have, well, it's not so much a mantra, but one of the the messages that we have is that mood follows movement. It's good to take action. Doing something when you're not feeling great is important. It doesn't matter what it is. It might be reading a book, patting the dog, shooting some hoops, bouncing on the trampoline, calling a friend. But Mood follows movement and, and that movement doesn't have to be physical exercise, but I think that's a really nice sort of mantra for kids to keep in mind. Yeah. I like that. What about you, Michael? Anything? Wow, I'm sitting here struggling with that <laughs> as a mantra for yeah, getting through the day. You really haven't got one. You so, probably do. It's put uh, on mine is, uh, I think if I was to throw anything in there, I'm of a different generation, so this is where it's an interesting one. I've been talking about pet. I'm now a grandparent. All my kids have kids. Mm-hmm. I have a different perspective on life as well. And so I come with this whole, and I've seen parenting for quite a while, and I have a different perspective. And I, I guess if my mantra is now, if it was for parents, it's not that important. Mm. And what do I mean by that is sometimes we, and I remind myself a lot when things don't go well, and I just say it's not that important. And I think sometimes we see little things as being big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had all sorts of stuff around, don't sweat small stuff and all that sort of stuff. But I think as what comes with age and what comes with, I'll say age because I'm about different generation, is that sometimes the things which I would have worried about when I was your age, I don't worry about anymore because the sun still comes up tomorrow. There's my mantra, the sun comes up I tomorrow. I love it. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. good. And you, you have, sometimes you have to talk it out. Yeah. yeah, that'll do. I've got it. Yeah. It's funny we were just watching yeah, Annie yeah. this week. So, yeah. so yeah. we always like to ask everyone as well, just for one final piece of advice that you'd give to men and women who are doing this juggle of life with kids and work and careers. And perhaps if you want to make it specific to anxiety, perhaps they're trying to do that while they're coping with anxiety, either their own or their child. So is there one final piece of advice that you'd like to leave everybody with? Yeah, I'd like to say that we need to be more forgiving of ourselves. I know that all of us, and you know, I have a lot of friends and I've been chatting to them this week about their juggle and their experiences and what causes them stress and, you know, the guilt and the division of just trying to divide up time. And we want to give 
at all to everything. And one of the things I, I like to sort of say is that very good is often good enough. Yes. And that's, I think, something that I'd like to leave the listeners with to say that if we're not always around for our kids, they learn a lot of independence and resilience because of that. They miss us and they love us more when we come home. If we're not always able to give 100% to work tasks because of a family uh, commitment, then that's okay too. And often our very, very good is excellent and we, we're too hard on ourselves. So I think very, very good is good enough. That's probably what I'd say. We're all just doing our best, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Right, mine, mine, I'll, I'll nick back to the anxiousness aspect, which is while we're here. Is the, is the simple fact is to take anxiousness seriously, but don't think it's a massive problem if your child has it. The biggest change we've had over the last 20 years is the fact that we're now recognising that anxiousness is an issue mm. a few generations ago and it wasn't really a, a big issue although people were anxious so mm. we used to have terms so you're a thinker or you're a warrior mm. don't worry so much etc so I grew up in a time where anxiousness wasn't an issue it was more a medical condition so did Jody now we're realizing that a lot of people are anxious anxiousness is the common cold of mental illness it's something to be afraid of you need to talk about it and what we encourage people to do, and again, it's difficult with kids, particularly when they're young, because you can't teach them in that, at that level. But as you're moving through, it's normalising it. It's actually saying, yep, this makes us anxious. Here's how we're going to manage it, and rather than bury it under the table. So we've got a pretty big week coming up of presentations, TV, all the rest of it. And so as two anxious people, we've had to put a bit in place to help us manage that. And so the people around us understand that. And it's not massive. It's just being a bit more prepared. I'm sitting, you know, Jodie's done great notes for our presentate, for our radio interviews. They're all in colour. It's going to make it easy to see it. <laughs> all this sort of stuff. So what I'm saying is that it, it don't go, hoo hoo, he's anxious. Oh, she's anxious. Must be something wrong. No, there's a certain percentage of the population tend to be more anxious than others. Roll with it, deal with it. High achieving people are fairly anxious. And let it become part of the public discourse. So you've got a lot of footballers now, AFL players, who are, you know, who are now coming up saying, yes, I'm anxious. They're under the spotlight. Their environment, they're in, if you're that way inclined, it's going to be you know, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress and make you more anxious. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of my final message is to, A, normalise it, B, talk about it, B, look at events and go, yep, that makes me anxious. How can I deal with it so that our kids learn it from us and we can also teach it with our kids. So we're seeing anxiousness as almost an opportunity in some ways. Yeah. Oh, it's so good to end on a positive note. I like it. Thank you both so much for joining us and we will make sure to share in the show notes to the episode about the book tour that you're doing so that everyone can get get involved in that. And where to buy the book too. We'll we'll include all the links there. Thank you. Thank you very much. The Anxious Kid book was released on the 7th of May, so it's now available for you to buy. You can buy the book and find out more about Dr. Jodie at drjodierichardson.com.au and about Michael at parentingideas.com.au. And as I said before, we'll include those links in the show notes as well. 
We had so many questions from members of our community and friends that they wanted us to ask in this interview. And unfortunately, we only had half an hour to get through them all, so we clearly didn't. If you have a question and would like the opportunity to see Jodie and Michael in person, then they are doing a book tour with the book. So it'll be across Australia and you'll have the opportunity to see them in person and hopefully get an opportunity to ask your questions of them then. And they are coming to Perth. And when we've got the link for all of the states for the book tour, we'll update it and we'll share in the community as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's all from us today. If you enjoyed the episode, then please leave us a review and subscribe to the show. And of course, come and join the conversation with us in the Juggle community on Facebook and all the links are on our website, thejuggle.com.au. I think there'll be a fair bit of discussion in there about anxiety after this. Most likely. See you next time. Happy juggling. Bye.